Welcome back for another episode of the Big Old Podcast. I am your host, Julian Ortiz, and today I am joined by two-time NCAA Division I gold medalist, former WWE world champion, and the man who won an Olympic gold medal in 1996 with a broken freaking neck, Kurt Angle. Kurt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bingo. How are you? I'm listen. I am much better now that we are here together. You are a busy, busy man. Whether it's traveling the world for wrestling, whether it's being a father to your kids, or whether it's the amazing projects that you are currently involving yourself in, I, I would honestly, in reading the bio and following your career, it seems from a very young age, hard work and dedication has been a major mantra for for you and probably instilled from your late father getting into that what kind of impact did he have and how you became both a man as well as a father well my dad was pretty much a badass to be honest <laughs> with you um he was um he was the head of the household and uh he instilled in us um the work ethic that we all have uh, we have incredible work ethic because we were taught by our father. And with him, sports were really important. We all had to participate in sports. And my dad made sure that was important to all of us. Uh, so uh, we all did it. We all participated uh, football, basketball, baseball, uh, soccer, wrestling, uh, whatever. But uh, the, the sport that our family really clung to was um, wrestling. My brother Mark started with it, and he had an incredible career. The crazy thing about Mark is he was um, he beat up uh, two cops when he was in eighth grade. He was he was a uh, he was a uh, he was a man in a kid's body or a right. kid in a man's body. He was uh, six foot, one hundred eighty-five pounds in eighth grade, and he got in trouble. And he ended up going to a juvenile uh, delinquent center for two years. When he got out. The wrestling coach got a hold of him and said, listen, we're going to take all that aggression and throw it out on the wrestling mat. And my brother, from the beginning, had an incredible career. His first year, he qualified for states. Uh, the next year, he took fifth in the nationals. Uh, he was uh, exceptional. And we all followed his footsteps. And uh, uh, fortunately for me, I became a lot better than he was. <laughs> but I, I was the youngest of the family, so that's expected of you when you're the youngest uh uh you know your your brothers are going to make the the big mistakes and you're going to learn from those mistakes and that's what i did uh, and learned and learned exactly is what you did i mean you had a great high school and collegiate wrestling career were able to translate that to the grandest stage of them all and that is representing your country in 1996 and winning a gold medal but before we even get to the the crowning of the champion. You know, you suffered what could have been a career life-ending injury. And yet, I think the quote was, you found a doctor that was either smarter than everybody else or stupid enough to let you wrestle. And you said, listen, I am going to do this because I, I, I promised my dad I would be a champion, do whatever it took to be a champion. And you wrestled with a broken freaking neck and won the gold medal. What was that experience like leading up to the injury and then completing that goal? Um, it was scary, you know, uh, knowing uh, that I broke my neck. And uh, at the U.S. Open, 
And I still had the Olympic trials to go to and the Olympics. And they were pretty close back to back. So uh, I found a doctor and I got a little heat for that, saying that he's either smart enough or dumb enough to let me wrestle. So I can't say that anymore. Uh, the, the doctor really helped me. He really did. What he did is he was shooting me in the neck with a healing agent. It was non-steroidal um, uh, because we weren't allowed to take steroids because right. we were getting drug tested. Um, and uh, not only that, but what he decided to do was have a doctor travel with me at the Olympic trials in the Olympics. And he would... Uh, stick me in the neck with 12 different shots of Novocaine oh, and uh, all over my neck. The crazy thing is when I, you know, when he did it, I, I didn't feel anything. Yeah. So I didn't think about my neck anymore. I could focus on the match. So it actually worked out. Now, would you be able to do that today? No, <laughs> not with liabilities and everything like that. There's just no chance of that happening. But back then they were a little more forgiving. I mean, that it's, it's a crazy thing to, to sort of talk about, to hear about, to read about. And you're completely right. In today's age of whether it's pro wrestling or pro sports or, or even amateur sports, there is such a, a safety blanket placed on athletes' health for good reason because, I mean, you're a success story, but we've seen and read about so many times where it's gone the other way. where Tragedies, yeah. And, and, and we want to try to avoid that as much as possible. And obviously, you know, I'll say it. I might take a little flack for it, but these future generations were a little bit softer than our previous generations. I don't necessarily think that's a, a bad thing or a well, good thing, but it's true. It is true, but who decided that? Uh, was it good question. this generation today or was it us that decided to protect our kids? Because when you think about it, the kids can't really make the rules. The parents do. Correct. So I think that our generation actually changed it. I'm not saying that we got soft. I'm just saying I think we got more protective of our kids. 100%. I mean, again, we, we we said it before, you learn from experience. And we always say, you know, as, as parents, we want to take on the burden so our children don't have to. And, I mean, some of that is taking the bumps and bruises so your son or daughter doesn't need to do it in the future. And you learn when we see so many things go wrong, let's just make sure that that doesn't happen to the future generations. But, but, yes. but I do want to say this. You sometimes have to let the kids go through the what they have to go through. One hundred percent. them up to make sure that they experience that, and I think that's really important to add. One hundred percent. One of the big things I, I was a, uh, I was a, a a big boy growing up, so I got to you know the bumps and the bruises. But my first two kids were girls, and so that was such a major change for me, as far as really actively trying not to treat them as girls as lesser than boys right like it, it like right, it's right. get in there get the same bumps and bruises play the same games share that same toughness and you're going to grow into the person that you want to be i'm not going to hold you back from reaching your potential and my my daughter loves to wear dresses but she loves to get in the nitty-gritty and play soccer and <laughs> basketball and throw Let's elbows get dirty. And, yeah exactly right and and that's what you kind of want because now you're not so much molding the kid into what you have an idea. You're allowing them the room to grow and, and make mistakes and figure out who they truly are, which I think is, is something that is lost with participation medals and everyone getting a trophy at the end of the season. I mean, maybe, maybe you think differently than me, but I see your accomplishments and I'm like, that came from him either being the best or not being the best. And when he doesn't win, 
he figures out how to train better, how to learn new things, how to reach that pinnacle. And not everybody gets to do that. But with participation medals, sometimes that journey and growth gets a little bit lost. What, what do you think as someone who's seen both sides? I'm not against participation trophies, but I do believe that um, they need to show uh, they, they need to go through failure in mm -hmm. order to succeed. Yep. And when you have participation trophies, they're being rewarded for failing. And that, that, that's not good. Um, you know, you, I know that you want to, you know, give them a trophy for participation, mm -hmm. but when you reward them and they're failing, it's not really adding up. It's not making sense to that child. I think that um, when they think they don't have to work hard anymore, they're going to get a trophy anyway. That's the way they're going to think. So you, you yep. can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little on the edge about that. Yeah, I, I think, again, you find the perfect balance, right? You you want to keep them involved and so they don't lose interest, but you also don't want to give them this sense, this fake sense of as long as I participate, I'll be rewarded with what everyone else gets. Down. Because we don't have 7 billion doctors in the world and lawyers in the world for a reason, right? There are select few that get to that level. The Not everybody. Yeah. Ex <laughs> that's exactly it. The, 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 the one or 10 percenters, as they like to call them. Um, getting into your career. So you, you win the gold medal. You try your hat in football. I believe it was as uh, you had a tryout or like a spring training with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers as a fullback. Didn't cracked the roster, wanted to bring you on to like the practice squad. You're like, it's not for me. You test yourself in broadcasting for a little bit and ultimately didn't jive with that right away. What are you thinking is your future? Because at that time, pro wrestling is, it's a big thing. Was that the immediate thing that you were like, I need to get myself involved in this? Well, no, I didn't watch pro wrestling when I was growing oh, up. I was told not to watch it. Uh, <laughs> I was told that I was the real deal and they were fake and it was garbage. Uh, that's what I was taught. And that's why I turned down the deal in 1996 from Vince McMahon. And I decided to uh, try my, uh, I guess, uh, take a stab at uh, sports casting, <laughs> which I, I did for a year. I wasn't very good, but in my defense, uh, they didn't have me rehearse at all. They just threw right. me in there, and, and I didn't have any experience. But I was learning on the job. Uh, I didn't enjoy that very much. Uh, and I was at a uh, crossroads in my life where I, I did have a degree in college, a teaching degree. I could have gone, gone on be, be a teacher. I didn't want that that particular time. I still right. wanted to do something athletic. And when I started watching WWE in 1998, I was just curious. I just turned on the channel. Uh, it was um, USA Network, and yep. I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I fell in love with the guy. The guy was, <laughs> he was the guy I wanted to be, uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to call WWE and see if they still have that contract that would st still stand. And I called Jim Ross, and he said, nope, uh, it doesn't stand anymore. That multi-million dollar deal is gone. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to try out. So I had wow. to go off and try out. Uh, and you know what? In my life, I've never had anything handed to me. I've always had to do it the hard way. So I was used to it. I, it didn't matter to me. I told him, fine, I'll try out. So I went up there and uh, the first day I just took to it. I was uh, I was very, very gifted at this. I, I don't know how or why, uh, but I was picking up on everything relatively quickly. Yeah. And by the end of the day, they offered me a contract already. <laughs> And it was like, wow, okay, uh, I guess I might be okay at this. 
And um, you know what? I, 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 I basically doused myself in it and I was very passionate about it, just like I was amateur wrestling. And I was learning more and more every day. And I was watching video, Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Triple H. I'm watching all these matches and I'm learning so quickly. Uh, I literally started on TV eight months after I signed my contract. Wow. It wasn't long at all. And you don't do that. Uh, no. Nobody's ever done that. The only person that's actually done it, but she did it more of a part-time job at that particular time was Ronda Rousey. You know, yeah. uh, we, we structured her match at WrestleMania. It was her first match, which was crazy, WrestleMania. Uh, and uh, Ronda, you know, we had to break it down and have her memorize everything because she really didn't know how to work. Uh, but she took to it really quickly, and it was really impressive. I mean, Ronda Rousey is the perfect example. I was going to bring up, you know, if – if you were in today's era of wrestling, so you were like coming off of winning a gold medal, you were on the covers of Weedy Boxes, although people outside of my generation don't remember that. You know, that's like the, one of the most prestigious things that you can have happen is be on the Wheaties box after you accomplish something big. I mean, when you see the success of Brock Lesnar going back between WWE and the UFC, Ronda Rousey. Even in your era too, Ken Shamrock was was doing the same thing. Do you think that after leaving and winning a gold medal and having all of these options on the table for you, would MMA have sparked any interest in your mind? Or what, do you think you would have still just ultimately ended up in, in the WWE pro wrestling? Listen, MMA got really popular in 2001. That's mm -hmm. when it really broke out. UFC was like really, really running hard. And they, and they were mm -hmm. doing great ratings. They're having that TV show, uh, Tough uh, Enough. Yep. And, the Ultimate Fighter. Or, or Ultimate Fighter. Or what am I talking about? WWE is tough. <laughs> Ultimate Fighter. So they're having this TV show and they're doing incredible ratings. Listen, if I would have wrestled in the 2000 Olympics, I definitely would have went the MMA route. Wow. Um, that was more my cup of tea. That's what I would have done. I'm actually glad it didn't happen because I think my calling was professional wrestling and being an entertainer. Um, I think I would have done pretty well at MMA, but I don't know if I would have done as well as I did in pro wrestling. Entertainer 100% is your bag of tricks because <laughs> one of the things that you, that people don't credit enough to these professional wrestlers, it's not just the physical part of, being able to work 300 plus days a year in a different city, seven days a week, but also being able to take the bumps and the bruises to recover. And then there's the superstardom echelon tier of athletes. And that is being able to cut promos and being able to work over other athletes as well. And one of the things I played this uh, upon entry when Kurt joined the, the feed was one of the greatest, greatest renditions of uh, a parody of Shawn Michaels' music, entry music, uh, Sexy Boy. How about one of the worst? No, no. See, I can't. <laughs> see, I would have maybe gone with that if you didn't do it for a second time because clearly you knew that it was something of gold. You and Vicky Guerrero did it the first time, and then I do believe it was the WWE Hall of Fame induction that was the second time. Uh, I'm pretty sure 
uh, Janetti still can't stand up. Um, <laughs> it, it is it is one of the coolest things, but not everybody can do that, right? You have you have John Cena, you have Triple H, Stone Cold, Shawn Michaels, The Rock, and I would probably say those are probably like the top tier that you're in as far as on the mic. I love Roman Reigns. That's that's my dude, but it's just not the same. And when you talk about having to teach Ronda Rousey the skills, she's cutting promos after the UFC, her victories when she was dominating everybody. Right. But it's so different to do it when there's interaction and other people talking and you're going off of the crowd, when to pause, when to start, when to change your inflection. And you did that and you embrace the crowd, the you suck chance that reigned in the arenas was something that you were able to just steal the energy from the fans in a way that not every pro wrestler could do. What was that like? What was it like to know that whether you were a heel or a babyface, the you chant you suck chance were something that you knew you were gonna get anywhere you went? Well, you know what? When I started, I, I didn't even know I had the entertainment factor. I, right. I never did anything like this. Um, but Vince Man came up with a character for me. It was more of a dorky, uh, milk-drinking, you know, Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> the three eyes, intensity, integrity, intelligence. And uh, we, we went by that character, and I just jumped into it. And I just became that character and tried to be as nerdy as I could. And, and, you know, but, but at the same time, I was clever because I would cheat and win. And even though I talked about it, you don't cheat and you, you know, you do everything by the rules, I would break the rules. It was, yeah. it was a really complicated character and I really loved it. I just, I just uh, soaked myself in it and uh, became very passionate about it. Just like I did when I was picking up the wrestling skills and I didn't know I had it, but I did for some strange reason. I never did this before in my life. And this is the first time I went out there and, uh, you know, the first promo I did, you know, Vince McMahon was like, I have a player here. Yeah. This guy's this guy's going to make it. And uh, I remember, you know, it was it was my first night. I, I, I debuted at Survivor Series. The next night I was in my hometown in Pittsburgh. And Vince McMahon came to me and I didn't cut a promo yet. And he said, um, hey, listen, this is what you're going to say tonight in your hometown because they're going to boo the hell out of you. And I said, yeah. Vince, there's no chance that my, my hometown's going to boo me. He said, trust me, they're going to boo you after you say this. And he started telling me what he was going to say. And he went on for five minutes. And the whole time, I'm not listening to him. I'm just looking at his <laughs> mouth move. And after he was done, I said, uh, Vince, you're going to have to repeat that because I didn't hear a word you said. <laughs> and he said, listen, I'm going to say it one more time. You're going to go out there and you're going to say it word for word. If you don't, you, you're, going to, uh, you're going to sink. If you do, you're going to swim. That's exactly what he said to me. And I went out there and I cut about 90% of it right. And Vince was like, this guy has it. I know I know he's going to be a huge in the future. So uh, he knew he had a great, uh, formidable uh, entertainer, uh, not just a wrestler. Because when I started WWE, I thought I was just going to be on the weekend show, Superstars or whatever right. it was called, and just wrestle. I thought that's all, that's all they were going to have me do. But I didn't realize that I was going to be as entertaining as I did. And that was a blessing. Yeah, I mean, Sunday Night Heat, I remember, was like the the NXT before NXT was a thing. But even NXT is like way bigger than Sunday Night Heat ever was. And I remember Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, Sunday Night Heat, 
pay-per-view like that that was the schedule and i remember back in the day when i couldn't afford pay-per-view i would turn on the pay-per-view channel and listen to the audio with the like very pixelated screen and every every once in a while like every like six and a half minutes you'd get like one to like two clear images of like right. an elbow drop and then it was like scattered again but uh i mean as a as like a, a 10 year old kid like you that's just you just want to hear jim ross that you was hear, your pay-per-view experience that i mean <laughs> until the wwe network came and i got older and could afford to pay for pay-per-views that's yeah. what we did and and we we'd get together three, four friends, 10 PM on a Friday night on our Sunday night on the East coast. And we would listen. And then we would also replay it. So like when we hear he hits him with an angle slam, you know, my buddy would pick me up on his shoulders and throw <laughs> me onto the mattress. And it was, it was one of the coolest things, um, back in the day. And even now to see the crossover and for, the athletes, and I call you athletes because you're more than just pro professional wrestlers. You are athletes the same way that Tom Brady plays football or the way that Mike Tyson is a boxer. Like you are professional athletes. I love the fact that we're seeing crossover. John Cena, The Rock, Triple H, Randy Orton, all making movies, all being on the big screen and getting a lot of the love that I know The Undertaker is well known. But you're telling me the Undertaker couldn't have been in like, couldn't have been John Wick before Keanu Reeves, like oh, in his yeah. heyday, like that's a badass. He just chose right not to be. He just chose not to be. Yeah, I mean, and and I I feel like that was probably a lot of people had those opportunities. I mean, not everybody wants to be in Sharknado too, but I know that in the cameo that you're in Sharknado too, and when you're in Pain and Gain, like those are things you probably enjoy doing, and that's not for everyone. Is there a project that during your the height of your professional wrestling career that there was like a movie that you'd be like, I'd like to star in that? Is that did that ever come across your mind? Well, you know what, the Fast and Furious. I love those movies. I would love to be a part of that. Um, you know, I, I was I was very blessed when I first start, uh, started movies. It was probably. Um, Oh, gosh, 2007 or 8, um, I did Dylan Dog, uh, Dead of Night. It was called uh, a comic book movie. Uh, I had a great character called Wolfgang. I was a werewolf. Uh, and then uh, I went to Warrior. I did Warrior yeah. uh, with Tom Hardy and Joe Egerton and Nick Nolte. I uh, did Pain and Game with The Rock. I had a little tiny, you know, fight scene with him. Uh, Sharknado 2. I did about, about 15 different movies, uh, but I didn't really... Uh, get really involved like I should have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I got myself in a little bit of trouble, some DUIs, uh, another incident that I don't really want to discuss, but um, that really took me away from the movies. And right. uh, for the last, you know, seven years, I've been working back to gain my reputation back. I've been clean and sober, gosh, since uh, 2012. So it's uh, been 10 it's years. It's amazing. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, so that's, that's a big feat. Thank you. But it's hard, man. Once you, you know, you, you ruin that reputation, it's really hard to get it back. And uh, here I am. I'm starting to get opportunities for more more movies now. Yeah. So uh, I've been very blessed, but it's I've had to work really hard at, at keeping my, my reputation clean. And, okay, so this this brings me to, to the next question. Um, Vince McMahon, obviously well-renowned as a suave businessman, but also those close to him talk about like the human being behind the company and the kind of man that he is when 
maybe you stumble a little bit that he's the type of person to be there to help you up rather than shut you out. Can you talk a little bit about the impact Vince McMahon has had on you, not as a professional wrestler, but just as a human being, man to man? Yeah, Vince is an incredible human being. He has a lot of compassion, uh, loves his wrestlers, uh, very loyal. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, my first year wrestling, I made a lot of money my rookie year. And uh, it wasn't guaranteed, though. And right. I had a very low guarantee, $75,000 a year. Uh, that was it. And um, I wanted to get my contract changed. And I went to Jim Ross and said, listen, I want to change my contract. I want a higher guarantee. He said, well, I can't give you one right now. Uh, or he said, how much do you want? And I told him what I wanted. He said, I can't give you that right now. Uh, uh, but I can give you half of that. I said, I don't want half. I want what the rock and Austin are getting. I want the same guarantee. And he said, well, I can't do that for you, Kurt, but you know what? I'll talk to Vince. He went to Vince and Vince said, yes, right away. That's wow. the kind of person Vince is. He takes care of his talent. Um, you know, if, if you get in trouble, he's the first one there for you. Uh, you know, when, when I was, uh, you know, when I had my painkiller problem, uh, he's the one that had me go to rehab. Uh, he really helped me out. He did not want to let me go. Uh, when I got uh, when I got myself released in 2006, I left the company. Uh, I was really struggling, and um, Vince didn't want to let me go. But what he did say is, uh, you know what? Go ahead, leave. Uh, whenever you want to come back, your contract will be here. And wow. uh, but I but I suggest you go to rehab. So I waited a long time to go to rehab. After that, I guess about five years. But I did end up taking his advice. And the th thing is, I was in TNA, Impact Wrestling, when I went to rehab. And WWE, Vince McMahon paid for it. Wow. That's the kind of person he is. You know? Wow. I mean, and, and that's the thing. We we hear Vince as, as the big, bad businessman. But a lot of stories have come out recently and with social media and the impact that that's had. And especially podcasts. I mean, you went on with Stone Cold. The fact that Stone Cold has a podcast is like just incredible because I know. <laughs> he gets some of the most amazing stories out of his, his former colleagues and friends. And you get to see a whole different side of wrestlers and, and the experiences they had that you wouldn't normally get, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago unless, you know, you wrote a book and then you know, you'd have like 17 versions of it because your career has been so crazy and so long that you would, you know, need that many volumes to get it all out. The fact that we're learning so much about the important people behind the curtain and just the amazing impact that they've had. I mean, you've said his name maybe four or five times now. Jim Ross, who by any other person would have just known him as a commentator. But everybody knows behind the scenes just the impact that he has on the company itself. How are these relationships that you forged during your career helped you outside and just your, your personal life and some of the, the challenges that you had to go through? Well, you know, uh, having great relationships with people like Jim Ross and Vince McMahon, uh, they helped me become the man that I am because I, I wanted to be just like them. I wanted to be giving and compassionate, uh, you know, uh, very understanding. Uh, Jim Ross is one of the best human beings I've ever known. And uh, he, he's not just an incredible commentator. He, he's an incredible human being. And what he, he's always taking care of the talent. And uh, I was really sad to see him go in WWE. Uh, this was, what, about 15 years ago? Mm -hmm. And the way they did it, <laughs> it wasn't really crazy, uh, where they had him uh, kiss Vince's ass, <laughs> which was crazy. Yeah. You know, Jim Ross is so highly respected. 
And to see that was like, uh, you, you, nobody wanted to see that. You no. know? It was an ugly scene. But they're, they're incredible people. And I tried to mirror my life the same way they were. Okay, so you said you didn't watch pro wrestling growing up because you were told you were the real deal and you didn't want to, I guess, maybe get any bad habits or, or anything like that. But looking back now, what is your favorite match to view that you're not involved in, but to go back and watch or that you've seen, whether live, uh, you know, backstage, what is the greatest wrestling match that you've ever seen? The greatest match I've seen, and it was crazy that I actually liked it back then, was the, the Iron Man match that Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart did. Oof. The crazy thing is they didn't have a finish in the whole hour. Yeah. And the match <laughs> is still exciting and entertaining. That's how good those guys are. They're two of the best workers of all time. Uh, you know, I, I really wanted to mirror my career after Brett. And right. uh, Sean was always, I knew I couldn't be Sean because he was just an amazing athlete, <laughs> high flyer and everything that he did. Uh, I knew I couldn't be him, but I knew I could be Bret Hart. And I, I did my very best to, to mirror his career. I mean, outside of the off, I mean, you talk about uh, Jim Ross with an awful ending to his career. I mean, I would put Bret Hart's, you know, WCW, oh, you know, leaving to go there as one of like the hardest things to watch as a Canadian, number one, but as a wrestling fan, again, like you said, everyone loves Bret Hart. And just to see how that whole thing unfolded was like one of the most challenging things as a fan to witness. What was, outside of Jim Ross, what was the hardest thing that you've ever seen? Whether it was a botched move, whether it was something that turned out the, you know in a different way than it was supposed to. What was the hardest thing you saw as a professional wrestler? You know what? For me, because he was in the height of his career with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. Um, he was having difficulty, obviously, with his neck because he took the pile driver from Owen Hart yeah. and the wear and tear in his neck. Eventually, he had to have surgery. But after he had the surgery, he was still in the prime of his career, making a bunch of money, main eventing every pay-per-view, every TV. And then he ended up hurting his back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he actually went to a doctor that said they could fix him. And he didn't believe it. You know, yeah. he was like, I'm very skeptical about this doctor. And it was a, a doctor that worked on me. And uh, uh -huh. the reason I, I say that is because the doctor called me and said, listen, Kurt, I just uh, had Stone Cold in the office. And uh, he when I told him I could fix him, he walked out. And I right. said, well, there's nothing you can do about that, doc. But I I was very sad for Stone Cold because his career got taken away from him. Right. And what made me so happy this past year at WrestleMania was him coming back and being able to have redemption and have just that one last moment at WrestleMania because he had five or six or seven years taken away from him. He was yeah. running hard. I mean, he was the guy. He was bigger than anybody else. And to have Stone Cold Steve Austin end his career the way he did, it was really sad. It's, it's funny. I'm just, I have a memory as you're talking about Stone Cold. I watched a recent documentary that, again, involves Jim Ross. When, when Austin stepped away from wrestling and he was going through his contract dispute with Vince and it was Jim Ross that brought them back together. And again, not just an announcer, but really a glue amongst a lot of that locker room, I imagine, and athletes between management and athletes. And keeping that unit as cohesive as possible. I know we're running up against time. I'm going to ask you one more thing. Let you get out of here. 
who was the best wrestler that you ever got to square off against in the <laughs> ring? All right, wrestler or entertainer? Overall entertainer. Uh, ooh, let's go wrestler and go with entertainer. Okay, best wrestler is Chris Benoit. <laughs> okay, yeah. He, he was the only guy that matched my intensity, and he was an incredible technician. Uh, one of the he was the best wrestler I ever got in the ring with, but Shawn Michaels is the best overall entertainer. But I have to tell you, and I said this before, I'm going to say it again: Chris Jericho is coming on strong because that son of a bitch is still going, <laughs> and he's 52 years old, and he's at the height of his career in AEW. So I, I do have to put him up there with Shawn. Okay, last one, just because you brought it into my mind. What was the what is your favorite move to be finished with? So any wrestler you competed against, what was like the, the best sell job you wanted to do with anyone else's finisher? I love the stutter. I love oh, taking okay. the stutter. You know, you, you take the stutter, you hit your knee, and you pop back up <laughs> and take the nasty plunge. The, the, <laughs> That's the nasty how I plunge. would do it. I you like know, that. I got a lot of shit for it, but I, you know, it was a, I love to take that finish anytime. Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's an easy finish to take too. Yeah, <laughs> that that is awesome. And on that note, thank you, Kurt, for joining me today. Before we go, uh, any future projects you're working on, and where can people find all of your amazing content? Okay, you could go to KurtAnglebrand.com to get my merchandise. I have T-shirts, uh, milk cartons. Uh, <laughs> Cowboy hats. <laughs> I got cameo video messages, uh, birthday cards. Uh, also, go to physicallyfit.com. You'll see my chicken snacks. Uh, I have a company that's doing really well. They're high protein, low carbohydrate, crispy protein bites. Uh, they're like a Chex Mix type of texture. Incredible flavors, 11 different flavors. We have a, 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 we're doing really well with this company. And I want everybody to go to physicallyfit.com, check it out, and order yours. Awesome. The Big O Podcast available on Apple Podcasts, so make sure you subscribe, leave a review, also available Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast, and on YouTube. So hit that subscribe and notification button to keep up to date with all future episodes for my amazing, incredible guest who won a gold medal again with a broken freaking neck, people. Kurt Angle, I am your host, Julian Ortiz. Thank you for watching and listening, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you.